Welcome back to the Database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. You are listening to Half Torah, the Shear series which explores the connections between the Parsha HaShavua and its corresponding Half Torah, thus Half Torah, Half Navi. And with this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayera, we have the very first narrative Half Torah, which presents us the unique opportunity to analyze and compare this week not just two stories, but actually five staggering stories between the Parsha and its Half Torah. So what exactly is the Haftorah? What's it about? And what do the stories that we find in the Haftorah have to do with this week's Parsha? So I will explain very soon after we thank our sponsor this week, Jonathan Falk, Lili Nishmas' grandmother, Esther Alkabas Yaakov Akoin, whose neshama should have an aliyah. If you enjoy sharing like this on the podcast, and if you, like Jonathan, want to partner up with us here at the database with the sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group for frequent updates and links for every uploaded sheer, then all you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the database, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. So now, taking a look at the Haftorah for Parshas Vayera, which comes from Malach and Bez. It is the very first Haftorah of the Parshios that is not taken from Sefer Yeshayahu. So we have Malach and Bez, Perek Dalad which begins, obviously, with Pasuk Aleph and goes all the way to Pasuk Lamed Zion. So we're looking, once again, at Parak Dalad, Pasuk Aleph, all the way to Pasuk Lamed Zion, 4, 1 to 37. Now, Parshas Vayeris Haftorah, which, once again, um, is a Haftorah that contains narratives or stories, unlike the lyrical prophecies that we found from Bereshis through which were taken from Ishayahu, we have not just one, the two stories in our Haftorah that takes place in the time of Elisha Hanavi, who was the disciple of Eliyahu Hanavi. And with the first story in this Haftorah, which is only seven Pesukim long, but it takes us from, again, Pasuk Aleph to Pasuk Zion, we're told of a poor widow who comes crying to Elisha that the creditor that she's indebted to is approaching to take her two sons as slaves. And Elisha Hanavi performs what we might think of as a Hanukkah-like miracle by making her oil supply increase to fill up every last empty jug that she had owned so that she could pay off the creditor and allow her and her sons to survive on the remainder of the oil. So that's the first story that we have. Once again, this woman, her children are about to be taken away by the creditor. Elisha comes, performs a miracle, provides oil, and she's able to pay off creditor and her sons can survive. That's story number one. Then we get to story number two. And in the subsequent story, which takes us from Pasuk Ches all the way to Laman Zion, so really the whole rest of the Haftorah, we have a story that stands in contrast to the first story. Because in the second story, we're told of a wealthy woman, not a poor woman, but a wealthy woman from the city of Shunem, and we will henceforth refer to this woman as the Shunamis, the woman from Shunem. And unlike the widow, who perhaps had no means by which she could make her ends meet, the Shunamis would not only host Alicia for meals, but she built a special apartment in her attic for him to stay, and he would frequently travel through the area. And so, of course, also unlike the widow, this woman has a husband, so she's got a husband, she has money and by further contrast 
to the widow in the first story, not only does the Shunamis have money and she has a husband, but she does not have children. We know that the, the widow in the previous story was trying to protect her children, but this Shunamis, she has no children at all, which is an important feature of the story, right? Because the fact that she had, did not have children was something that would change as the story progresses, because Elisha would bless the Shunamis that she would have a child in the coming year. Now, by even further contrast to the widow whose children were only about to be in harm's way but were saved, the child of the Shunamis actually dies in the story. Only at the end of the Haftarah, Elisha miraculously restores the child to life and returns him to his mother. So in that particular story, once again, this um, Shunamis, she um, is infertile, she does not have any children, and Elisha says, I'm going to give you a special bracha that you're going to have a child, and ultimately she has a child, but then the child dies, she gets very upset, and in the shorter version of the story, Elisha comes back, performs this miracle, and resuscitates the, the child. Okay, but those are the stories. Fine. So the question is, what the Haftarah tells us about Parshas Vayera? Because right, once again, we remember that when it comes to the Haftarah, the Haftarah is somehow supposed to bring out a point and highlight something from the Parsha. And Parsha's Vayera is a Parsha filled with stories, and this Haftarah is obviously one that contains two stories. So what does the, the Haftarah or the stories in the Haftarah have anything to do with what was discussed in Vayera? At a first glance, there are actually a lot of obvious connections between the Saftara and the contents of Ayera. For example, both feature stories about emissaries of God promising barren but hospitable people that they would have children. Right? Certainly one of the most famous scenes in Ayera is Avraham's hosting of the angels at his tent when he's given such news that he's going to have a child. Another interesting connection is that in both of those stories, the miracle baby's life ends up at risk when he gets older and it is not until the emissary from God returns that the child is saved, right? Because in the other most famous scene in Vayera, we have the story of the Akedah, when Hashem commanded Avram to offer his one and only son Yitzchak and seemingly to slaughter him. And it was only when the angel of Hashem returned and stopped Avram that Yitzchak was spared, right? So we have in the story of the Shunamis, once again, the, uh, the, the bracha coming from an emissary of God. In this case, it's not an angel, but it's a prophet. And he, uh, so, so Avram and Sarah, they receive a bracha from an angel. And the Shunamis, she receives a bracha from Elisha, that you're going to have a child. And then, oh no, something's going to happen to the child. The child's gone. The child is as good as dead. And then all of a sudden, the emissary of God returns to, to, to assure that the child lives. So we have that, you know, from the beginning of the parsha to the end, with uh, the birth of Yitzchak and the sparing of Yitzchak at the Akedah, we have that parallel in the story of the Shunamis with her miracle child, who was resuscitated by Elisha. Now, is that all? So far, you know, I, th- I think we're doing pretty well um, as far as thematic connections. But are there perhaps other fundamental connections? Right? The stories look alike in many ways. And even if there are more connections that we might be able to pull out, more importantly, what do these connections mean? What do the connections suggest is the takeaway from Parshas Vayera? Just because we have parallel stories does not necessarily suggest that this should be the Haftarah, right? We, we argued, for example, in the past that Parshas Noah shares a lot of parallels to the story of Yonah, 
and Yonah is obviously the Haftarah for Yom Kippur Mincha, but be that as it may, the fact that there are stories that are parallel, you know, that, that seem to have, um, you know, stories that seem to be mirrors or sequels of others of earlier stories in Tanakh does not necessarily mean that that should be the Haftarah. So the only reason that we would argue perhaps that this should be the Haftarah is of course, if of course it's bringing out an important point from the Haftarah. So the real question that we have to consider is what Parshas Vayera is really about. So as far as Vayera is concerned, like most of the Parshios early on in Sefer Bracious, the plain content is about what Chazal referred to as the Maisa Avos, right? The, the events of our forefathers, and at this time we're focusing on Avram Avinu, we know of the concept of Maisa Avos Simon Labanim, that the events of our forefathers, they are signs for what's going to happen in the future. The Ramban has his own twist on it, Maisa Avos Yitzira Labanim, that that which happens with the Avos is forming what's going to happen in, in, in the future, that uh, they literally create the future through their actions at that time. And if we're focusing on the Maisim of Avram Avinu, so we can take this theme of Maisa Avos and apply it specifically to the Avos, but I want to go in a different direction. Because even further, looking at the whole Sidra throughout, I want to argue that there is a focus on the spiritual, emotional roller coaster that different individuals experience in the process of conceiving, raising, and caring for their children. And I want to refer to these experiences as different paths of parenthood. Because if we look really closely, we are going to see a array, we're going to see an array of different parenting styles that emerge from both the Parsha and the Haftarah. Because if we put the Haftarah under the microscope for a minute, we might notice that the stories of Elisha with the poor widow and with the wealthy Shunamis do not only thematically resemble various aspects of Ayera, but they most conspicuously demonstrate these emotional and spiritual paths of parenthood as well. If you look in the Parsha and you look in both of the Haftarah, these will all emerge. And a question that I had glossed over until this point, and I'll just mention it now, is, okay, we found some nice parallels between the story of the Shunamis and Parshas Vayera, at least with the story of Avraham, Sarah, and Yitzchak. But what about the first part of the, of the Haftarah, which is a seven-verse mini-story about Elisha and a poor widow? Like, where, where, where does that connect to things? Are we just putting that in because it's part of the passage, because it's part of the same parak? So... Why would that be included? But let's take a closer look at the Parsha. Because I want to argue that in particular, the poor woman with children and no husband, I think she actually reminds us of two different stories in Parsha's Vayera. And as I mentioned, we're going to be taking a look at five stories. So if you're, if you're keeping count, we've already referenced three stories, two in the Haftarah and one in the Parsha. Right, and really in the Parsha we spoke about the Akedah and the Hachnasas Orchem scene. I'm putting those two together. We're talking about Avraham, Sarah, and their parenthood um, their, um, you know, over, over Yitzchak. But there are other stories. And I think, once again, the first story in the Haftorah um, actually is a shattered of sorts to two stories in Vayera, two stories that we have yet to mention. On the one hand, we have the story of the lonely Hagar, who was wandering in the desert, with no water for her dying son. Right? Think back to the story of the poor widow. She doesn't have a husband, 
right? She, her husband is dead. In the case of Hagar, so obviously her husband has sent her away. Um, her, her, her husband, who is Avraham, Avraham obeying the orders of Sarah as Hashem has ordered him to. So Hagar is now alone, like the widow, and her son is dying. Right, take a look back at the widow whose children were at risk of being taken away by the creditor. So we have Hagar in the desert with no water for Yishmael. And yet, even earlier than that in Parshas Vayera, we have the story of the endangered Lot in Sodom, who, like the widow, has two children whom he also is about to give up to the authorities. In Lot's case, his two daughters, whom he disturbingly offered to the mob in attempt to protect his guests, he said, you know, take my daughters, do whatever you want with them. And this was uh, and this was the story of Lot, right? So just like the creditor who was about to take away the children of the widow in the story with Elisha, so we have Lot and also being uh, spared by emissaries of God. In this case, so in the case of Parshas Vayera, we have angels in the place of prophets. And in the Haftarah, we have prophets in the place of angels. But again... We have angels saving Lot, Elisha saving the woman, and the angels that are saved. And by the way, the angels save Hagar as well because the angel comes at the end and provides the water, or he 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 reveals the water of the well. So we we have angels coming to save the day, emissaries of God coming to save the day, and in both cases, once again, we have children at risk. We have parents desperately trying to do what they can to spare their kids. So both Hagar and Lot prepare to witness their seed taken before their very eyes and perhaps lose their own life in the process. And that story, once again, those two stories, I think, are depicted once again in this sequel story, as it were, in the story of Elisha and the widow. But now, tripled with the story of Elisha and the widow, we see an apparent pattern between these three stories. Because in all three of these scenarios, the parent relies on the pure mercy of another party, a messenger of God, and merits not of their own to get them and their children out of harm's way. Think about it. Because we have in the story of Hagar and Lot, they're both rescued by an angel of God, and the poor widow, once again, is rescued by a prophet of God. Hagar's child is saved because Hashem promised Avraham that he would be saved. And Lot is saved as well in in his uh, uncle Avraham's merit. Right? So it's actually a question from Chazal. We see that maybe Lot's merit was the fact that he actually had done something good. He kept the secret um, about uh, about um, Avraham and Sarah being married. Instead, um, you know, they, they, they would tell everybody that they were siblings. And... But the Pashup shot over there is that the Chumash says that Avraham was remembered. Hashem remembered Avraham, and therefore he spared Lot. So um, you could certainly read the story that way as well, that Lot was just being spared because of Avraham. Now return to the Haftarah, where the widow's only claim before Elisha was that her late husband was a God-fearing prophet. We hear nothing about her personal worth. In other words, she says, my husband feared Hashem, and he was a Navi, and I believe that Mofarshim identify her husband as Ovadia, um, but the point is that it's not by her own merit, it's by her husband's merit. So we have Hagar and Lot's connections to Avraham, that's why they're spared, 
and this uh, the, this widow's connection to her husband. That's why she is spared. And then all three stories, although the child is spared, and in turn, the parenthood remains somewhat intact, if you look at all of the stories, no one really leaves completely unscathed from the turmoil. Take a look at Lot, for example. After Lot offers his daughters as bait to the lawless mob, he loses his wife, his sons, his sons-in-law, and to top it off, he and his daughters ultimately engage in really shameful relations in the cave when they're hiding out. So that's obviously not what we would call the ideal model of the parent-child relationship. Now let's look at Hagar. Hagar, the Torah tells us, tosses her son out of sight to avoid personal and emotional pain. And even though we can argue when the Chumash says that she threw him, doesn't mean that she actually threw him and especially does she, did she throw him as far as Chazal say she threw him? It could mean that she put him down and then walked very far away. But the point is, we see that from the story, the Malach says, that you should strengthen you should strengthen the, the, the child and put your hand on him, meaning pick up your kid, you know, don't leave your kid dying over there. The point is, she didn't want to see her own child die, which is understandable, but she kind of left him there, left him high and dry, quite literally. He had no water. And what ended up happening to Ishmael later? So he grows up to be a morally debased idolater and murderer. So those are the two stories in our parsha: Lot's and his parenthood over his daughters, and Hagar's parenthood over Ishmael. And so far, the, the models presented are Again, not what we would call ideal. Now, we return to the story of the widow. She barely survives financially with her sons on the thread of a miracle in the form of a few jugs of oil. And what we find is that she's not guaranteed any further relief other than that she would live off the remainder of oil, which she had left after paying off her debts. Now, I guess the stories, but her story doesn't end as badly as Lod and Hagar's story, but again, it's not, you know, we're, we're, we don't see her riding off into the sunset at the end of this story. Now, on the other hand, we have the second school of parents who were not immediately blessed with children, right? Lot, Hagar, and this widow, the one thing that is a given for all of them is they have children, right? Lot has children before Avraham has any children, um, well, at least before Avraham has Yitzhak, right? Avraham had Yishmael already. Hagar has Yishmael with ease, right? So she, she got pregnant immediately. And even if you go with Chazal's approach, um, the approach in the Midrash that she had miscarried and had another child, the point is it all happens quickly, certainly before Sarah had any children. And in our story in the Haftarah, the widow already has children. So the given of the first three stories, um, Omar, the given is that they all have kids. But we, then we look at the Shunamis, and we look at Avram and Sarah, each of whom did not immediately have children. Well, Avram did not, you know, did not have a child with Sarah anyway. So we have this second school. So the Shunamis, like Avraham and Sarah, they, um, she lacks a child. However, none of the people in these stories rely on the merits of others. As we mentioned, they each hospitably welcoming guests for no other purpose than to serve others. The Shunamis serves Elisha, 
Avraham and Sarah, they serve the angels, and many other people as well. Consequently, each of their emissaries from God, whether it was an angel or it was Elisha Navi, the emissary simply comes to inform them of the good news that a child is on the way. Right? The, the, the emissary at first is not coming to spare them from any, uh, from, from any dire circumstances. The, the emissary comes to say, by the way, good news, you're going to have a child. And some would argue that their careful hospita- um, hospitality was really what earned them the miracle of fertility. The way my brother of Daniel Eisenberg once put it, in, you know, if, if you have people in your home, you're going to be zocha to have people in your home. Right? If you, if you host people, Hashem sees that this is a home that can use some people, a home that can, that can house and host people. And the concept can be understood as such that the sensitive hospitality demonstrates a readiness and a caring that is necessary to raise children under one's roof. Avram and Sarah, welcoming in guests, and the Shunamis, welcoming in a guest. Now what's more is that even when both of these parents, Avraham Avinu and the Shunamis, when they find their respective child's life hanging in the balance, right, the emissary of God hastily intervenes in the nick of time in response to the righteousness which each of these parents had demonstrated. The child would be spared from all harm. Right, so we have with Avraham, Malach comes down and says, Avraham, you've done everything you were supposed to do. You did everything right. And you know, now Yitzchak's going to live. So on and so forth. With the Shunamis, right, uh, Elisha comes and just spares the child. And, and it's as simple as that. Now, the question is what we're to make of all of this. The connections, the contrasts between Lot Hagar, widow, on the one hand, and Avram Saran Shunamis on the other hand. What does all this come to suggest? So I want to suggest that the three former cases of Lot, Hagar, the poor widow, each in their own way, as we mentioned, they obviously don't portray the parent in the best light. Most conspicuously, and again, most disturbingly, Lot doesn't put any effort into protecting his daughters. Even Hagar needs to be told by the angel not to leave her son dying by a bush just because she can't bear to watch it. Angel says you know, that she should go back, pick up her child, care for the child. These parents have to be told or shown in the harshest way how to be parents to their children. The children that they were just granted easily. They had children. They didn't necessarily do any hard work to get those children. And they don't do any hard work to protect those children. And, you know, it's just a matter of they were given children, and now they will demonstrate in not great fashion the right way or the wrong way to be a parent. Now, even the seemingly innocent, poor widow, she's also not really portrayed in the best way. Despite being the widow of a prophet, for some reason Hashem allowed her to end up poor and alone so that her children would be at risk. So even while we don't see any action of fault from her, we do see a woman who has neither the money nor the merits to provide for her children. And if she doesn't deliver, her children will be taken away. Now this might perhaps bring us to sensitive and maybe unfair territory of 
describing and perhaps the question of whether or not we should be able to describe why or why not or whether or whether or not she was Zoha through Zchusim to have the means for her children. We don't really know, right? We, we, we don't understand why Hashem does what He does. We don't understand why Hashem put this widow in these circumstances. But what we do see, or I should say what we don't see, is anyone saying to this woman, you know, you're, you're on your way, you're doing everything right. We do see a woman in a very unfortunate circumstance. And maybe we can give her benefit of the doubt and say that, you know what, Hashem just decided that, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in the books for her to have, you know, this easy way out of the situation. She'll need a prophet to come with a miracle to help her in her desperate time. Why did Hashem put her in the desperate situation? You know, only, you know one can only guess. So we're not going to say that she's as bad as Lod and Hagar necessarily, but what we will say is her situation is definitely desperate. It's not one where she has her Yad al-Halayona, she doesn't have the upper hand here. She is pretty desperate, and she's in need of the help of others. That is what we can at least say from what we're able to see from the text of the Haftar. So, again, not necessarily that she's bad, but we don't, we don't have any evidence of her virtue. We'll put it that way. We have no evidence of her schism. Now, while it's true that each of the children in the three stories of Lod, Hagar, and the widow, each of the children end up surviving, but the question for each of them is at what cost? Why did the parents have to undergo such pain and trauma? And why do the children have to, do, to undergo such pain and trauma? Right, that Yishmael has to have that near-death experience, that the Benos Lot have their near-abuse, near-death experience, and and they have to you know, be engage with their father. And of course, this woman, her children are almost about to be taken by the creditor to be slaves. So, pretty desperate. Now, the answer to this question, if we could even begin to suggest an answer, might be connected to a deeper question, namely, what does it take to be a good and successful parent? Perhaps it means being someone who protects his child no matter what happens. And we might say that Lot didn't get that far at all. And does it mean that you love your child so much that you're unable to bear the sight of anything bad happening to your child? And that's probably not it either, because Hagar didn't want to watch her child die, and no one wants to, obviously, but she still needed work in her parenting. Right? The angel had to say, no, you're doing it wrong. Go back and care for your child. Perhaps being a good parent means going all the way and doing anything one can for his or her child. But again, the poor widow tried, but she just did not have the means to provide for her children until someone else came to her aid. And the same would be true for anyone, Rahman al-Tzlan, who unfortunately does not have the means. And what can you do when you just don't have the means? Right, like, again, who could blame the widow? She was poor, she didn't have a husband, and she was in debt. Right, so like, Obviously, she's going to do what she can to fight for her children, but at a certain point, the creditor is coming to take them away. And she admitted this much, meaning she, she, you know, she, was, she wasn't planning on fighting the creditor. She just said she needed a miracle. And Baruch Hashem, she got a miracle. But you know, the question is, you know, what, what's the secret? What's the secret to good parenting? And maybe from the widow, we don't actually know. 
from Lot, we know he didn't succeed. From Hagar, we know that she didn't succeed. But from the widow, maybe we don't know anything at all. And perhaps that's okay. The secret is not revealed in those three characters. But perhaps when we look at Avram Avinu and Sarah and the Shanamis, so these individuals, perhaps they were not even fertile before they figured out how to be the best kind of parent. Because maybe to be the best kind of parent means to be the best possible Eved Hashem that one can be in his or her own right. To be the kind of person whose righteous actions on behalf of others speak for themselves. To be the person who has a readiness to be there for others, no matter what. And that, I believe, is what Avraham and Sarah and the Shunams had in common. That was their priority. And it could be, if that is one's priority, one will be able to conceive, even if, until that point, he has not. Right, and, you know, we don't know how Hashem works when miracles unfold. But Hashem decides when an individual is ready. And sometimes Hashem wants a person to maximize his or herself in other areas before Hashem gives them that brach of having a child. And if that is one's priority, to be the best kind of Ebed Hashem, to be there for other people, perhaps he will merit a much-needed miracle for his child when nature turns things for the worst. And if that's one's priority, perhaps other people connected to him will be blessed in his merit. Right, let's, let's look back. Lot, Hagar, and the widow benefit somewhat from being connected to righteous individuals. Lot and Hagar were connected to Avraham, and they benefited through it. The widow was connected to her righteous husband and the prophet. So between Ovadia and between Elisha, she had good connections. And it was because of these righteous individuals and even Avraham and the Shunamis. So they didn't have children, but they were still benefiting other people. We see Avraham benefited Lod and Hagar, the Shunamis was benefiting Elisha. And so they were each doing for others and being sources of shefa, sources of influence and impact and bounty for other people, even when they themselves didn't have children. And of course, being connected to the Avos, as each of us are, that can be of benefit to us. We can have schos Avos. But the question is, how far the merits of others, merits which are not our own, can ultimately reach? How much will we have to undergo if all we're relying on is the righteousness of others? Avraham and the Shunamis did not have schos Avos, the way we understand it, merits of their parents. They didn't have schos Avos of having righteous parents but they had the schus for being good parents, even before they were parents. Right? The kind of schus avos that they had was the schus of being good avos and imahos. They were righteous, sensitive, and caring people who did not only care about themselves, they were natural parents, although they were naturally infertile. They, they, they were born to be parents even when they could not conceive children. So yes, having good parents and being associated with the Avos or other righteous people, that's a good connection to have. But it's limited because it's only a connection. Lot, Hagar, and the poor widow could tell you that. They had good connections. And the connections spared them. But that's what all it did. It spared them. 
we wouldn't call it the success story. They were spared because they had good connections. And sometimes those connections can take us far, but once again, how far? So, the end, I would say that it's when one does not only have connections, but when one emulates truly pure and righteous maise avos, deeds of parenthood, deeds of fathers and mothers, that's when one can latch on to the schos avos, the merits of the fathers and mothers. And when you make them your own, that's when we can bear and enjoy the fruits of our labor for years to come without worrying what the cost will be. Because in the end of the day, it'll be in those merits that one can successfully lead life on a successful path of parenthood. And that, I believe, is what Parshas Vayera really teaches us about, and that's what the Haftarah calls to our attention. So we should all be Zoha to become truly sensitive of the Hashem and thereby be good parents for our children, truly make the Schosavos our own, and merit the love and sensitive parenting from Avinash Shabbat as he redeems us from all harm for once and for all with the coming of Mashiach and Harabimenu. Thank you for joining us here at the database. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful Shabbos.